Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You are the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke writes, Great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear let him hear. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear saints, hate. Well, it's a hard word for us to hear especially in the context of what is supposed to be the good news, the gospel text, where we hear Jesus say to us, a person must hate his or her very own life, hate their father or their mother, or hate their sister or their brother. Hearing to hate it startles our senses, yet Jesus, he goes on to shake us even more. If you don't perfectly hate like this, then Jesus says that you cannot be his disciple. Added to this, he says, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what does God require of you? He wants you to lay down everything and take up your cross and follow him. And anything less 
And you cannot be his disciple. Without hate of self and family, without the bearing of your cross, you and I are seen as flavorless salt. And salt that is not salty is good for nothing. Now, a simple test of your hatred of self and family in favor of God can be best observed by your focus on your birthday over and against your baptism day. Which of these two days gets your greatest celebration? Does the brighter spotlight fall on the day that you were born or rather do you rejoice over more over the anniversary of your day of birth into the eternal kingdom of God? Do you celebrate and commemorate the day that you were born into your sinfulness or the day that you were crucified, died, and buried with Christ? The day that you were baptized into his death, the day that your sinfulness was defeated and you received eternal life with him. Unless you hate your birthday more than the day that your cross became Christ's cross and pick it up and follow him, you cannot be a disciple. Now, in light of his words here, we start to see the shocking insufficiency of our own existence. In fact, some of you struggle to maybe even remember exactly what that date is when you were even baptized, don't we? While some of you are questioning his words here, trying to sidestep them, ignore them, maybe even wiggling around a little bit in your pews, trying to justify our own actions. However, What is being revealed here is we're not what we're meant to be, are we? Humanity has lost its way. Our thinking has become confused and contradicted against the truth of the situation and our real position in this world and with God. You see, most of us, have come to accept a passive type of Christianity, lacking of anything which might seem offensive to our postmodern ears. However, what might actually be missing is the fact that if you allow the word of God to dig deep beneath the surface and expose the reality of your human existence, your quest for your idea of this life, the very thing that's cutting you off from the life that God wants to give you, you know it's not quite what you think it is. And he does expect much, much more from you. And we heard in Psalm 1 today, Just this, the wicked will not stand 
in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what is it for you? Are you righteous? Are you one in God's congregation? Or are you a perishing sinner? Now, there's a number of ways that you might respond. And first, there's the way of pride. We might look at ourselves all puffed up, thinking that we're not doing too badly in this life. And then there's the way of brokenness. We might see deep within the darkness of our sin and in shame seek to flee further from the presence of God. But you see, both of these responses, they're flawed. They are both equally wrong because answers here are sought from within yourself, looking inwards at our own belly buttons. However, there's another way, the third way. And by this path, you can be honest. And you can answer both of these questions. Yes, yes, I am righteous. I am of one in God's congregation. And yes, I am a sinner. And there is part of me that is perishing. Thank God that I am being done away with. And why is this different from a righteous pride that comes from within or equally from within a humiliation that leads to the giving up of of hope? It's different because the twofold. Yes, it comes from the outside. It allows you to be completely honest, knowing yourself as God knows you. Because in fact, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knew you before you were even born. He knew you before your baptism into Christ's death on your cross. He even knew you before this world existed. And as we've heard in Psalm 1, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, God, he calls you to know yourself, to know your nature, to be honest with yourself and to be honest with him. To know you're dying, but not to despair. Rather, because of the eternal joy that awaits you, endure the cross of dying, the killing of your sinful nature and look forward to the new hope, fully convinced of the future to come. To see yourself clothed the way that you were meant to be before sin entered the lives of all humanity. To see with God-given faith when God looks at you that he sees Jesus. To see you covered with the righteousness of Christ. 
believing and trusting Christ's righteousness is the only way of righteousness. And when this happens, we will hate what we are, but love what we have become and what we are becoming and what we will become in Christ. We will realize this life is more about death than life in regret, regret and detest its likeness. But we'll also see in death what has begun in our baptism. We will be finished and done away with so true life can begin. We will grow in love and in knowledge. And Jesus in the same way, we will see that, that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And we will yearn more and more to be the same as he is. Friends, today we, we heard about Paul and we heard about Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And after escaping and being found by Paul, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. But Onesimus, he's different from what he once was. He's no longer a slave to sin, but he, now he's, he's bound. He's bound to the gospel. He had become the same as St. Paul was. Although we know very little about what it's like to live in a social setting as slavery, we in fact, like Onesimus, were slaves to sinfulness, but are being freed from that old bondage, from our old Adam's. If we look into ourselves, we might seek to flee our slavery like Onesimus in despair, our arrogance. But Onesimus, then he relied on Paul to win favor with his master Philemon. Likewise, Christ, he's won that victory for us and we can rely on him to put us right with God. Now, we can imagine Onesimus hated his old life as a slave. And we, too, we trust that Christ, too, put us right. And we detest our old lives, too. We will hate the way things have become in this world. We will hate who we have become, slaves to our own sin. And because of it, we will long for something much, much more, something better. And we trust God is bringing it to fruition into our lives. And in hating our own selves, we might learn to truly love who God is recreating in us, who he wants us to be. And then with this Christ-centered love, we might love our neighbors more as ourselves. We might just love and serve one another as Christ loves and serves us. Dear Saint, saints, one's life, 
One's life, it is prolonged when that life is possessed with the love of God. The fear, the love, and the trust of our Lord must be our way of life if we are to have the good life. Those who delight in themselves in the Lord and his will will prosper. Even in the judgment day to come. Yet this delight, it does require some accounting. Are we willing to give up life on our own terms? Walking in his ways, bearing our own crosses of willing sacrifice. Life lived in the intentional presence of God is one filled with true joy and spiritual abundance. There is a cost, however, to following Jesus. The cost isn't measured in silver nor gold, but in the very giving away of one's life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus warned his followers to count that cost before they embarked on the journey with him. And it sounds daunting, but once you're on that path, it is true freedom, the freedom of a Christian. And this is what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. One must consider the cost of true obedience, even if it means being scoffed, being in prison, or just needing to do the proper but difficult thing. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.